It's a huge day in Ohio. The Ohio Supreme Court has slapped down Ohio's elected leaders for putting their party ahead of the people in gerrymandering the state legislative districts. Lots to talk about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Layla Tassi and Laura Johnston. Lisa Garvin is absent today. We'll be back tomorrow. You guys ready to plow into what is my favorite story of the year? Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> the favorite story of the last two years, right? Yeah, this is a big one. How badly did the Ohio Supreme Court slam Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, Senate President Matt Huffman, House Speaker Bob Cup, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and Auditor Keith Faber when they threw out the gerrymandered legislative maps that these politicians drew in violation of the Ohio Constitution? Ohio is might be saved here, Laura. This is a big day. Yeah, this is, I mean, a very definite ruling. We're talking about 146 pages of dense legal language that was released Wednesday afternoon. The majority opinion is about 60 pages long and written by Justice Melody Stewart. And this is a damning opinion. Basically, it says that the the Republicans, led by Matt Huffman and Bob Cup, two legislators from Lima, who ran this entire process, did not follow the very boys, basic point of the law, which was to create districts that mirror the voting preference of Ohioans. And this is Article 11 and Section 6 of the Constitution. They keep referencing this over and over. And this is what Ohioans voted for in 2015. So basically they're saying, go back to the drawing board. The commission, which you named all of the people on the commission, did not work together the first time. Now she gave them 10 days. Well, they all of the court gave them 10 days to actually work together and come up with something that meets the constitutional requirements. Well, what'll be fascinating too, I mean, look, they, what's fascinating about this thing, they use the word absurd four or five times. Yeah, they they basically point out that they violated their duty in every way possible, mm-hmm. that they never worked together like they were supposed to, that Bob Cup and Matt Huffman, who were not elected statewide, went into a corner, played with their little toys, refused to let anybody get near it, and completely violated the requirements of the Constitution, which says it has to mirror the vote of Ohio. They Mm -hmm. used absurd arguments about the number of races won, not the vote of Ohio. And this opinion just slaps it down one after another. But but don't get away from the fact that these were constitutional duties Mm -hmm. that we put on these guys and they completely blew it off. And it's just I mean, I was a little worried at the the delay of what was going on, that are they just going to let this go? And there are dissenters that want to let it go, yeah. which we'll get to in a bit. The, the, the fact is, though, they got 10 days to get back together and do this. They're going to mess around a little bit about who's on the commission. You already saw an argument yesterday. Well, the commission was disbanded. The court ordered them to reconstitute, mm-hmm. so they don't have a choice there. Here's my question. If they don't do it, If they get back together and work in secret and don't show anything and at the end come up with another bogus set of maps, they're under court order. Will the Supreme Court hold them in contempt? They have a hammer now. We told you, do it right, and we are maintaining our purview. We want to see this in 10 days. What happens if they don't? That's a really good question. I mean, they've made it clear what they expect. And there are holes in this that I didn't even really comprehend that not only did they completely disregard this idea of mirroring the electorate, they only used 
data from 2016, 2018, and 2020, where the Constitution clearly says you need to look at the last 10 years of statewide election results. I mean, so they don't come out and say, like, you purposely misinterpreted, but they do say that they misunderstood the law. And I... I mean, so now now they know that they can't get away with it. Are they going to come up with maps that do show that 54% Republican and 46% Democrat, which is pretty, I mean, much closer together than what we ended up with, which was a veto-proof majority, again, for Republicans. Look, Frank LaRose, Keith Faber, Mike DeWine, who were boxed out of this thing, inexcusably allowed that to happen. They ought to demand that this be done in the sunshine. The yeah. seven of them sitting in front of a room, a projector on the wall with the people drawing the map so everybody can see they are actually going to now work in good faith because they haven't. Mike DeWine talked to our editorial board the other day and gave the most ridiculous explanation for why he did nothing to help draw these maps and voted for maps that he knew were clearly unconstitutional. This is this is a slam, slam, slam slam on our top elected officials. Matt Huffman and Bob Cup are villains. They tr- they think about that. Instead of representing Ohio, the best interest of Ohio, they put party first. It's about tribe over state, tribe over the people. They're bad guys. I completely agree. And one of the people who actually drew the maps, there were two main people that were basically, you know, like I don't want to say henchmen. I mean, that's probably a little strong, but employees of Cup and Huffman. And they said they weren't even told that they were supposed to, uh, that that was the goal to get to the mirroring of the, of the electorate. So I don't know. And, And then of course we are going to talk about the dissent, but we talked a little bit about Mike DeWine. He put out a statement, said he'd work with the commission, which raises the question, well, why didn't you do that before? And of course his son did dissent on this opinion. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a, in a in a minute. I the, the fact that he's saying I'll work with the commission, it ought to be more than that. Do it in public. Get in front of the people and let us see your good faith because up to now you've shown none. Right, shown... remember the public meetings that they had that he skipped because he went to a Bengals practice? Yeah, but this time the Supreme Court said the voters didn't tell you to go work separately. The voters th- this was explicit. The voters said the seven of you will work together and you seven will draw those maps. So do it in front of us. Let us see you do it. Let us see the arguments you make. Let's see the work this time, because last time it was not in good faith. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What did Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor seem to recommend Ohio voters do, citing the failure of state elected leaders to put aside their partisan concerns and produce fair legislative maps? She basically accused them of putting their party loyalty ahead of all of us. Layla, what does she think we should do? I love this opinion. I'm going to miss Maureen O'Connor. Oh, man, she's a hero today. In her opinion, which she wrote separate from the majority opinion, O'Connor said that voters might want to consider alternatives to prevent gerrymandering in the future, including another constitutional amendment that would put the power of drawing district lines entirely in the hands of citizens. And she pointed to map making processes in Arizona, California, and Michigan as possible solutions to our gerrymandering problem here. And in all three of those states, sitting politicians can't be members of the redistricting commission. Each each of those states processes 
involves a blend of Republicans and Democrats and a certain number of citizens who are completely unaffiliated with either party. And I find Michigan's system to be particularly intriguing because the Secretary of State selects the members randomly from a pool of applicants, and members can't run for office for five years after serving on the on the commission. And I mean, so so I mean, lots of different ways to to mix this up and and come at it. And O'Connor said, you know, while not free from their own vulnerabilities, independent redistricting commissions have become the premier institutional solution to the problem of partisan gerrymandering because they increase the degree of separation between map drawers and partisan politics. They shift the power away from partisan actors who have an incentive to gerrymander to you know to maintain or expand their political power. Love it. Just this was one of the well, huge highlights of, of this piece of news. OK, Jen Miller, the League of Women Voters, she was talking to you in that opinion. She should have just had your name at the top. Jen Miller, start an initiative, get it on the ballot, get rid of these guys. We can't trust them. What I loved about the opinion was she said, I, of course, agree with the majority opinion, but I just want people to be aware <laughs> as they read this that. These people did not put their interests ahead of their partisan politics. So you really might want to think about doing it elsewise. And here's a bunch of ways that would work better. I mean, it was just delicious to read that. Uh, she's such a common sense chief justice and we're going to miss her. Mm -hmm. She's done. Mm -hmm. She's term limited. But but thank you know, thank heavens that she came along and said that we need to change this system because this was too tenuous. It's sad, though, because what you're basically saying is you cannot trust Mike DeWine. You cannot trust Matt Huffman. You cannot trust Bob Cup, Keith Faber, any of them. And I don't put the Democrats in this because the Democrats actually proposed a map that matched the percentages that the Supreme Court said we should use. They just were X'd out. Despite the voters saying, we want all of you to work together, that everybody stood aside as Cuffman and Hupp, who none of us got to vote for because we live in Northeast Ohio, corrupted the entire system. They should be just bounced out of state government permanently. <laughs> it's today in Ohio. The Chief Justice position is up for grabs in Ohio in November. Which candidate voted to maintain the grossly gerrymandered maps at the expense of Ohioans? And which candidate concurred with the opinion to force elected leaders to draw them again? Laura, this is really telling. In this case, Maureen O'Connor, as chief judge, was the deciding vote and brought the common sense opinion we just discussed, like, let's get rid of this stupid system. It doesn't work. But we got a justice on the Supreme Court that dissented. Mm -hmm. So if if that justice gets elected and is the swing vote, we would have gerrymandered districts. This is like Darth Vader running for chief justice. <laughs> Well, Jennifer Bruner is running and she concurred with a majority. The maps are bad and biased towards Republican. Sharon Kennedy dissented. Bruner is a Democrat. Kennedy is a Republican. So go figure. Um, Bruner's opinion, she wrote her own concurring opinion, is much uh, longer than Kennedy's. And she basically said that gerrymandering and its results, they undermine a government that is intended for the benefit and equal protection of the people. And her argument is that you're taking away people's rights by gerrymandering their congressional, their legislative and congressional districts. She says it manipulates it, entrenches one party, and creates an unequal class of voters, affecting the weight and power of each person's vote, and violates the Constitution. That's pretty strong stuff. Whereas um, dissenters found nothing wrong with the process. They basically said the court has no power to review the maps. And Kennedy points to this shall attempt language that Cup and Huffman kept referring to as aspirational over and over again. 
She says that. Wait, they, wait, this is this is one of the things the opinion said was, quote, absurd. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. You're reading the main opinion and it's talking about the dissent you haven't even read yet. So obviously these go back and forth as people as the, the justices write them. But, uh, yeah, she's basically saying that wasn't a requirement. It was an attempt and that that there was nothing wrong here. She thinks that the court is completely overreaching. Look, the the way they're drawn now and the way the the these guys drew them for the future was so gerrymandered it deprived democrats of their legitimate voice in government and sharon kennedy says that's okay i i, I hope that that becomes a part of this election because th- there's no doubt we've said this from the beginning andrew tobias the our state house reporter has done incredible work showing how gerrymandered this was how they corrupted the system i mean it's all there we've been on this like a watchdog sharon kennedy says oh okay i i, I think that we should have grossly gerrymandered districts yeah it's frightening she and let's talk does- about pat dewine Pat DeWine (laughs) has recused himself from previous cases where his father was a key player, refused to recuse himself here. We looked and we could not find any precedent for this anywhere in America. It seems to be a complete violation of the judicial canons. He stayed on the case and to make matters worse, he wrote a dissent in support of his dad. Yeah. Well, does that surprise you? I mean, that's what we we all thought was going to happen, which is why I mean, he's not being impartial here. And I mean, you could argue that three Republican justices are probably not being impartial, that they are putting party in front of people. See, I thought that in the end he would rule that these are gerrymandered because they are. And that's the right thing to do. And then he could say, see, I'm not biased. I ruled against my dad. It wouldn't work. I think he's still going to have a pretty serious complaint, but it would at least have allowed him. But instead, he writes a ridiculous dissent because they don't have any grounds to stand on. The dissent is poppycock. And and now I think we'll face it. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him. I can't imagine this doesn't lead to a disciplinary measure. Every expert on law who we've talked to has said no way, no how he should have sat on that case. Uh, and and the majority opinion jeers at him. It's funny. You said that the majority opinion is is mentioning the dissent, but it's more than that. You're reading the majority opinion and then the majority opinion criticizes the dissent. So when you get to the dissent, you see that the dissent criticized the majority opinion, but it goes beyond that to criticize the majority opinion's criticism <laughs> of the dissent. It's like, wow, I don't know that I've seen like this Like I said, before. 146 pages. If you guys are looking for some light reading and want to get into it, uh, and, and you can read all of their opinions. You know, Jennifer Bruner wasn't too far from Maureen O'Connor, and she's saying what Ohio needs is an independent redistricting commission. So she's... We- we clearly do. And again, Jen Miller, hope you're listening. It's today in Ohio. Why might Warrensville Heights Mayor Brad Sellers already be in serious trouble in his planned run for Cuyahoga County Executive? Layla, <laughs> our new reporter, Caitlin Durbin, is a star. Yeah. She dug this all up on herself. And what is Brad Sellers thinking running for office <laughs> oh, knowing boy. this is in his background? I don't know, man. Pretty- damning. I know. I mean, well, let's begin with the fact that he has a long history of failing to pay his taxes. And that was something that had been documented documented by media before, uh, you know, he had delinquent property tax bill that had ballooned to about $26,000 a number of years ago. And he had, you know, state and federal liens against his residential property for failing to well, pay stop, income. But stop, but stop there. Let, 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 let's explain that a little bit more. He did not pay 
his property taxes, running up a $30,000 bill, finally paid that off, then got delinquent again. Yeah. He did not pay his income taxes, ran up a $36,000 lien in arrears there. Um, I mean, think about that. You pay your, everybody pays their income taxes. How do you get that? Plus there's a lien on the state income tax, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, <laughs> so it's not just property taxes. Well, I mean, he, he doesn't pay oh, any don't taxes. Worry, Chris, he's got lots of explanations for this. I don't know if you want but to hear it now. A but... Public <laughs> official paid by taxes, not paying his taxes, now seeking oh. to run the collector of property. Trust taxes. me, he thinks he says he's the he's a victim of the system. So, you know, poor Brad Sellers. But um, I, but, you know, what I want to get to here is what Caitlin Durbin discovered in the public records yesterday, which was even more stunning to me than the than the tax bill. She discovered that in 2018, he signed off on a 15 year, 100 percent tax abatement on his own home. Boom. He literally introduced a resolution to city council as mayor proposing the abatement on his own house and then signed the document certifying it. He says he's the city's housing officer, so he was legally obligated to sign off on it. Nobody else could sign it. But here's another stunner about it. To apply for that abatement, the city requires you to be tax free or debt free of tax debt. At the time this abatement was approved and signed, he owed the county $13,600 in back taxes and had those liens on his property. But here's the third stunner. That 15-year 100% tax abatement is really only for certain, quote, good neighbors in Warrensville Heights. That's their special program. It That includes teachers and law enforcement officers. It doesn't include elected officials. And Seller says he qualifies because as mayor, he's also the city's safety director, which means he's a law enforcement official. Yeah. <laughs> this is bogus on so many grounds. They didn't pass that tax abatement to give to the public safety director. That's right. It's to get police officers living among neighbors, keeping streets free. So that's bogus. Look, you know, Ohio law says that you cannot take action as a public official that accrues to your financial gain. So, I mean, we, we've talked about Joe Simperman. Joe Simperman voted on a contract for the firm that employed his wife and got convicted of a crime for it. That You know, that that's arm's length in some ways. His wife wasn't working on that contract and Joe was part of a big body that approved it. He had abstained in other contracts. Not clear why he didn't do it there. But but it was more I was like, this is direct. He mm -hmm. signed a document saving him thousands and thousands of dollars. And the kicker is he he then didn't pay his taxes again. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. He gets this massive tax abatement and then continued to default on, on the remaining portion because the tax abatement was for the structure on on the property. The, the land still was taxable and he continued to default after that. I can't imagine he, he can so stay. So let me tell you what his is... his explanation was. He says that when he bought the house, he said he believed he had committed a portion of his down payment toward that year's tax bill, but that they had misapplied the money toward the purchase price of the house. Caitlin looked at the documents on file, and it's actually plain as day that the down payment was meant for the purchase price. It actually spells that out. But Seller said he has been fighting it ever since and has refused to pay the bill in protest of that, what he says is a clerical error. And then as for the federal and state liens, he says he's again the victim 
of miscommunication. He says he took some money out of an investment account to buy his house, and he thought he had more time to pay it back before he was taxed for it as income. So he insists that his debts are all now clear and uh, you know, he settled up just to move on with his life and that the paperwork discharging those liens just hasn't seemed to, you know, it hasn't been filed yet. So, um, but, you know, and then he turned the whole thing into a campaign message where he said, and and that's why, you know, I should be county executive because I understand what people are going through when they're victims of the system. <laughs> I'm going to yeah, fight it, for the little people. Yeah, it's just the, the whole thing is preposterous. And, and look, it's a long campaign. Stranger things happen, but everybody pays taxes and people resent those who do not. That's right. And it's not just one. You know, if it were one, you know, if he missed a year or if he, you know, if there was a dispute one year about his house value and he was still fighting it in court or something. But this is a pattern of multiple places. Income tax and property tax are very different animals. And to be delinquent, so delinquent that you get a lien filed against you in federal court. You know, that means you've taken some serious liberties. You know, with I, also, paying I also want to say, even in the very best case scenario, even if his explanation is correct, that, OK, he is a victim of all these different mis- You don't want that guy as your county executive in charge of hundreds of millions of dollars, of uh, you know, in, in public coffers. Right. The guy right. the it guy says- who can't keep track of. You know, whether this few thousand bucks was meant to pay for taxes or meant to go toward a down payment of the house, the guy who can't keep track of, you know, when was I supposed to pay that back to my investment account? That's not the guy you want in charge of the county. So, well, what's interesting is there are people in the Democratic Party who are trying to get an endorsement locked up in this race, people who are opposed to Chris Renane and pushing for sellers, normally in a in an open primary without an incumbent, you don't have an endorsement, but they're trying to lock it in. It'll be interesting to see what kind of reaction those guys get now as they call around and say, Hey, would you support Brad Sellers after this kind of scandalous, scandalous story about him? One, not paying taxes in a whole bunch of realms and two, signing a document to give himself a big discount that stinks to the high heavens. Great reporting by Caitlin Durbin. Check it out on cleveland.com and in today's Plain Dealer, it's today in Ohio. Why hasn't Ohio Governor Mike DeWine challenged the law that removed his ability to issue health orders, even though he thinks the law violates the Ohio Constitution? Laura, this story came from our meeting with the governor earlier this week. What's his explanation? So DeWine says he wants to keep the focus on promoting vaccines and that anything else would just be a distraction because this Senate bill, which was uh, vetoed by DeWine in March, but was overridden and went into effect June 23rd of last year, it allows any executive public health order to be repealed by a simple majority of the Ohio General Assembly as soon as they next can convene. So DeWine, he says, and he obviously he's a a lawyer, he's a former attorney general, said he would have to issue a public health order, wait for the legislature to repeal it, veto their repeal, and then wait for the legislature to override that veto, then file a lawsuit. He thinks this would just be really complicated and confusing for the public and instead would rather focus on messaging and including urging people to get vaccines we're at about 70% of Ohio's population now. And obviously we know that that's the best way to protect people from the coronavirus. Right. I, the thing that I find disingenuous is he's the governor and the legislature has passed a law that he believes unconstitutionally removes power from his office, that the constitution gives him certain authority. 
and he wants to run for re-election. He wants to continue mm-hmm. in the job. But even if he didn't, if he really believes that's unconstitutional, he should try to preserve the power of the governor's office against right. this unbridled attempt to strip the governor and the executive of, of ability. So I, I'm just I'm still not buying. He's turning it all into a virus discussion. You know, right. And this is people, about anything in the future, right. any kind of public health crisis. It could be Ebola. It could be anything. And it's just if you believe that what they did was an overstep that abused their authority and, and, and eroded the office's authority, then go to court. You know, you got a son on the court and he doesn't seem likely to <laughs> recuse himself. So you got at least one vote in your favor. <laughs> um, Touche. I think I, I totally agree with you on your points. I just think we have to look at the past year of Mike DeWine's actions and actions speak a lot louder than words. And he hasn't challenged the legislature on anything. You know, it's like after the first year of COVID, he pretty much just let the legislature do what it wanted to do. He we ended all of the public health safety measures and he's just now just pleading with people, Hey, please get your shots. And I get that though. I think he's actually right that if he tried to, to do things, the legislature would undermine him and confuse people. And so I think what he's done with the coronavirus based on what the legislature has done probably is the right way to go because he doesn't have any ability. I'm more concerned about, a law now that has changed the balance of power and put it into the hands of a gerrymandered body. Maybe it'll be less gerrymandered based on our earlier discussion. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's keep talking about our dear governor. What does Governor Mike DeWine think about Ohioans being forced to subsidize two aging coal plants, including one in Indiana? And will he ever again accept political contributions from the dastardly First Energy Corporation? Laura, this also came from our discussion with the governor. Right, exactly. So Jeremy Peltzer asked the governor whether it's a good policy for Ohioans to keep paying subsidies to support the Kiger Creek plant in Clifton, Ohio, and the Clifty Creek plant in Madison, Indiana. And DeWine's response was, well, certainly not the one in Indiana. So I guess he's not speaking for both of them. But House Bill 6 is is the reason that we are paying this. It's the gift that keeps on giving at least two energy companies, and it requires ratepayers to subsidize these coal pla- power plants for up to $1.8 billion by 2030. That's not very far away, and that is a whole lot of money. Um, and so there's no real move to get rid of this. The legislators have said, yeah, we're not we're not repealing this part of the law, but uh, at least DeWine doesn't support it. He also did pledge to never accept any more money from First Energy. Yeah, which was interesting because they've been a big supporter of his. And remember, when the scandal first broke, he, he for a day, supported the bill. And then he realized public opinion was going to tear him to pieces for supporting a corrupt bill and came out and said, "Okay, yes, we should repeal a bill that's forged in corruption Uh, to, you know, he said, I don't think First Energy will be giving any money because they're so chastened by this they're probably also not have a lot of money because they've been paying such gigantic (laughs) fines for their corrupt ways uh but for him to say i won't take money from them it does i hope it says that first energy's decades-long influence in state politics is is dying and it means something coming from dewine who actually asked them to contribute to his daughter's run for prosecutor so like this was a friendly enough relationship that he could say hey can you give money to to my kid He did talk about the part of HB6 that he still believes in, the the principle behind it, not the bill itself, was to have nuclear power remain viable in Ohio as a backup. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't seem to say in our conversation he feels the same way about Cole. He kind of stressed, "Look, what I what I said then, and I still believe is having nuclear power in Ohio. We need that, right?" Yeah, he said his focus was on nuclear power, not coal power. And one other thing that he said in response to Jeremy's questions, um, he said he would be open in principle to making some changes in how they appoint members of the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio. This is the PUCO. Remember, DeWine is the guy who tapped Sam Randazzo. And so that's a, a big admission, too, I think, considering how publicly he supported Randazzo even after he was raided. Yeah, he tried to he gave us this explanation about why Randazzo looked like a good candidate. And that's why he named him. And it's like I'm throwing the flag. Everybody was telling him, don't appoint him. He's an industry insider, you know, and he's a bum. And it turns out he's a big bum. He took bribes from First Energy. At least First Energy says (laughs) they paid him a lot of bribes. He's not charged with anything. uh, But that investigation continues You're listening to Today in Ohio, and I'm going to end it there because the other questions we have just pale in comparison to the conversations we've been having today. (laughs) It's a big moment in Ohio history. If they actually do draw the maps the way the Supreme Court said to, Ohio will be much more fairly represented. I can't wait to see how this plays out. Think about how long they drew drew out the first you know, exactly. map making process. Now they get 10, 10 days. days and they didn't say 10 business days, right? Like, are they supposed to be working on the weekends? Yeah, I think and they on, are. On, on the Martin Luther King Jr. Day? Like, yeah, they got that's 10... going to come quick. Well, actually, this is actually pretty easy. I mean, the opinion pointed out it's pretty easy to draw the maps the right way. So Rich could, could do done. it. <laughs> yeah, yes. they, they could yes. do this in an hour. I just, I, you know, I think they should do this in public. They, 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 enough of your secret nonsense in your hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. Look, and Bob Cup and Matt Huffman should just shut up and let the other five do the work because those guys are really the bad guys here. They, they just abused this system every way possible and made preposterous arguments to defend themselves. I'm just so happy the Supreme Court called it called it right i mean you just thought man are they going to let this go is there going to be some technicality where they just throw out the vote of ohioans but they didn't they did the right thing and they pretty much shame those who dissented as partisan hacks thank you laura thank you layla thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast we'll be back tomorrow to wrap up the week of news 